I remember walking into the apartment, the set for uh, Midge's apartment, and I was completely mind blown because, you know, this was a world that I was familiar with as a fan and I had seen it on screen in two dimensions. And to just step into that world and be there on the first day of this job that I had spent four or five months trying to get was just completely mind-blowing that it really existed. Welcome to the Opening Credits Podcast, where we shine the spotlight on the people behind the scenes of your favourite films and TV shows. In this podcast, we'll meet the people behind the design, who create for both fake worlds and the real world. We'll chat to film professionals about their experiences in the industry, their unique contribution to movie making, and how they apply their craft beyond the world of entertainment. Go behind the scenes of your favourite films and TV shows like never before, and meet the people who until now have been hidden in the credits. Hello again. Welcome to another episode of the Opening Credits Podcast. This is the second of our opening double bill of episodes. If you haven't heard the first episode with graphic designer Flora Fricker from earlier this week, then be sure to give that a listen. Thanks to everyone who shared the episode and for all the great feedback about the show. If you'd like to get in touch or if you'd like to come on the show for a chat, send us an email. Hello at openingcredits.net. A big thanks too to everyone who signed up to the newsletter and to the film pros who have joined our new Facebook group. If you're a designer with a background in film and TV and want to be part of building the new creative community we're starting, join us in the Opening Credits Network on Facebook. My guest today is Leah Spencer, a graphic designer for film and TV, a job she describes as the coolest niche job in the world. In this episode, Leah tells us how her work in corporate graphic design gave her an advantage when she eventually made the switch to film and TV, landing her dream job working on the marvellous Mrs. Maisel, and how she took inspiration from living and working in New York to authentically bring to life its 50s era. Leah also tells us how she uses her skills in illustration in between making shows, and how she plans to help new designers to break into the film and TV industry. I hope you enjoy our chat. Here's Leah. Leah Spencer, welcome to the Opening Credits Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. How are yeah, you? I'm great. I, I'm always excited to talk about my work. And I get excited when anyone asks, what do you do for work? Because I, I know they definitely will not know what I do uh, when I tell them. So yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, well, I suppose it makes sense to start with that question then. What do you do for work? I am a graphic designer for film and TV. And usually when I say that, the the follow-up is, oh, so you make posters for movies? And so it's not quite that. Um, it's making any prop or set piece that has graphic elements. So anything that has texture imagery on it, like a calendar or mail or poster in the movie or um, packaging. So any sorts of things like that. Um, and it's really fun because sets are just covered in graphic design and usually people don't notice it but there's a lot that we do to fill spaces to feel natural and it's it's really fun to make all of it yeah it's definitely an interesting area of film design how did you get into that type of work how did you get started well I started out in corporate graphic design um I I went to the University of Vermont and figured out at some point in that time that I wanted to do graphic design so I started doing some internships 
and some freelance jobs. And I wound up uh, after graduating, moving down to Rhode Island to do the graphic design certificate program at RISD, the, the Rhode Island School of Design. And so I, I enrolled in that. And I was also working as a graphic designer for Vistaprint Corporate Solutions, which is a business in Rhode Island. And so I was doing both of those for about three years. And um, my my work in the, the corporate sphere was it was the closest I thought that I could get to a perfect job. Um, and I was kind of willing to just accept that as my career and that I do things that I genuinely loved on weekends. Um, but uh, yeah, about two years into that job, I was listening to 99% Invisible on my way home from work. And that week's episode was the one with Annie Atkins. And she explained her her work process, what her work entailed. And in like span of about 10 seconds, I went from not knowing this job existed to knowing it was the most perfect job in the world for me. So <laughs> I really latched onto it. And then I, I stuck it out in that corporate job for a little longer, just for logistical reasons. And then about two years ago, I, I made the switch and I moved to New York and I've been here ever since. You're not the first graphic designer for film and TV to say they've been inspired by Annie Atkins, and I'm sure you won't be the last. Um, but for anyone who isn't familiar with who she is, are you able to tell us who she is and why she's so influential? <laughs> Annie Atkins uh, is the unofficial queen of graphic design. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she designed a lot of the Wes Anderson films and does graphic design for the Wes Anderson films. And um, I think it's her work has inspired a lot of people in giving items that seem very standard and um, I don't know, just typical, giving them really distinct personality and character and, um, you know, really highlighting the charm that human design has. Yeah. And can you remember specifically what it was about the podcast that inspired you to make the switch from corporate design into design for film and TV? Um, you know, she she talked a lot about her work on the Grand Budapest Hotel, and it was a film I had seen before and loved, but I, I don't think I could really articulate why I loved it. I, you know, it seems like a beautiful visual masterpiece, but I I couldn't really put my finger on what it was that gave it that spark. And once she identified the pieces that she had made, I realized those were the items that really stuck out to me. And being able to just be crafty and do graphic design and get paid for it and do research, it was just like the most amazing amalgamation of things that I loved. So she opened your eyes in a way to what else was possible and an area of design that you knew you'd be good at and also enjoy more. Yeah, I think I, I felt like when I was a corporate graphic designer that it was work that I was good at and it was work that I could make a living off of. And that's kind of how I thought the things in my life would continue. I didn't really plan or expect to find some sort of dream job. Um, but yeah, I, I felt like my corporate work was a little... It wasn't quite as mentally stimulating as I, I wanted it to be. It was very repetitive. 
um, I was using the same two type bases and the th- same three colors and the same four mock-ups all the time. Um, you know, it was very repetitive, but on the flip side, it was really great for building really solid skills in Illustrator and in design and Photoshop um, and just becoming really agile and quick and learning good ways to work around issues. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think it set me up with really solid skills uh, to go forward in film and TV. Yeah, so not the most enjoyable work but you were able to gain some transferable skills that you could then use in your work in TV. Mm, yeah. And I think designing for the real world first gives you an advantage in understanding all the tiny things that go in to real world design. I think when you're making something for film and TV, sometimes you forget things like, like a legal disclaimer at the bottom or just like little, little touches that, um, aren't really design elements, but give the overall piece a much more realistic feel. Um, so I, I do think there is an advantage in starting out in standard uh, mainline graphic design and then moving into film and TV. And how was the change for you moving into a completely different area of design? Did you have to learn any additional skills to the ones that you already had? I think the biggest difference for me is the pace of work. Um, you know, when you're in a corporate or even an academic setting, it's like you get the you get the assignment and then you do some brainstorming and then you do some drafts and then you get feedback and then you do some more drafts and then you pass it by all these different teams for approval. And in film and TV, it's like you have three hours and then we need it on set. So it, it really cuts out a lot of the processes that you're taught are quote unquote correct. Um and it really accelerates everything, which I think makes you a stronger designer in one sense. It is frustrating on the flip side to know that you could have made things better if had you had more time. Um, but that's just not the way things typically are. Yeah, yeah, I bet. And not only did you have to get used to working in a new industry, but your first TV job was The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is set in the 50s. Where did you start in terms of designing for that era? I imagine it's quite a different process. Yeah, it, all of it starts with lots of research, um, you know, especially because I am pretty far removed from that era in terms of the, the years I have lived through. Um, there's there's a lot of referencing images of either, um, you know, photographs that were taken at the time or images of items from that time. And it, it's often tricky because black and white photography was most of what was taken. And so you lose all the color reference. Um, so you, you can tie in color references from existing items, but then those items have probably been taken out of their original settings. So understanding how everything fits together is kind of a big puzzle that you have to work out. Um, so yeah, it starts with a lot of research. And, uh, you know, we we do have typefaces that fit most of what we see, but there is also a large amount of work that was done either by hand or in typefaces that have never been digitized. So there's a lot of, you know, trying to make things more organic with digital workarounds or sometimes when time permits, really just doing it by hand to begin with. It sounds like the perfect project for you, the, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel series in terms of your first job. Yeah. Um, did you move to New York purely to get that sort of job or um, how did it come about? 
So I I moved to New York kind of at an inopportune time. It was the height of COVID. So a lot of productions were shut down. And by the time I moved, they were just starting to open back up. And so it took quite a long time to get my first job as an art PA or production assistant. Um, because here in the U.S., we have a union structure that differs from the U.K. that makes it um, you you will have to be a union member to be eligible for graphics work. Mm-hmm. And so because I was not yet in the union, the, the job that you go for at that stage is a production assistant to gain experience and to start making connections. So it took me several months of emailing every single person I could find contact information for um, to get my first job. And it just so happens that the one of the PAs on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel in season four decided to have a career switch and he went into architecture and I took his job. <laughs> and so that's how I got my first film and TV job. Um, and it, it was pretty special too, because when I first started looking at what was in production, it was like, well, I, I'd love to do The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It's period. It's quirky. It's really artistically fun. But, you know, I should aim lower. That's not a realistic place to start. And it was where I got my first job. So that was really exciting for me. Um, and my on my first day of work, one of the other PAs brought me around the sets for a tour. And I remember walking into the apartment, the set for uh, Midge's apartment. And I was completely mind blown because, you know, this was a world that I was familiar with as a fan and I had seen it on screen in two dimensions and to just step into that world like in <laughs> in three dimensions and and be there on the first day of this job that I had spent I think at that month that point about four or five months trying to get was really really exciting and special and again just completely mind-blowing that it really existed actually <laughs> I was like I was only in that role for about a month before I uh, was given an unexpected opportunity to move up to graphics um, because I had started the the union except uh, the union entrance exam process and a it it ended on a Saturday and I was supposed to find out the results in two weeks and then I came into work on that Monday and was congratulated and moved up to graphics. So <laughs> I didn't expect that to happen. It was a really fantastic experience and opportunity that really worked itself out in my favor. Um, so I, I finished out the season kind of in a mix of PA work and graphics work. And yeah, that was my very unexpected first job. Wow. It couldn't have worked out better for you, really. Yeah. Uh, how did you find coming onto a show that already had an established world and a distinctive style? I'd imagine that might be quite overwhelming for a newcomer or did you find that helpful given that this was your first TV job? Yeah, I think Maisel is I think somewhat unique in that a lot of the crew has been there the entire time. You know, we're we're now on our fifth season and I'd say probably over half has been there since season 1 and so that's created a really unique environment where they really know this world that they're working in. And they have a very definitive sense of its identity. And so I think that's a really helpful framework to be able to work in 
um, be with people who know so definitively what this world looks like. Um, and, you know, they they created a, a really great framework in, in the early seasons for us to work off of and kind of just drive forward. So I, it's it's really nice having such a strong vision and inspiration for, for what new sets aspire to. So what sort of things did you end up making for the show? On season four, because I, I switched back and forth between graphics and PA work, um, I did mostly uh, like one-off sorts of things that didn't really have any relation to other objects that I didn't have to coordinate, um, work with other um, elements. So it was a lot of things like food packaging for backgrounds or posters also for backgrounds. Um, it's just whenever, you know, the graphics team was in a jam and needed some extra hands, they would pull me in for that. Um, the scene that I did the most work on that season was, I think, the last scene in the season where Midge is walking through Times Square in a snowstorm. And that set that we built was absolutely gigantic. We built it on the parking lot outside of the sound stages. And we filled several storefront windows with, um, you know, graphics and displays. And you can't really see too much of it, but that was a really fun set for me to work on because I got to take full display windows and make them my own. Amazing. And the show is set in New York City and you're a resident of New York yourself. Yeah. Were you able to take any real life inspiration from the city and bring it into the things you were designing for the show? Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite things about living here is all of the old signage that's still around. Um, You know, it's sadly dwindling, but every time I see privileged signs or hand painted storefront, it's just it's so exciting to see that surviving and it's really inspiring and and it's a unique way of really experiencing that design in its intended setting and its intended use even if the store maybe isn't there it's it's still a really inspiring experience to walk by authentic signage and um old design and so yeah we we definitely do draw into that a lot in new york um new york has some very uh, individualistic styles for the city. I mean, you know, every every city has their particular spin, and it's it's really special to have some of that surviving signage to draw upon. Yeah, New York always seems to become its own character in anything it features in. Has there been any particular highlight for you in terms of recreating its fifties era? Yeah, well, actually, it's that that last scene in season four in Times Square. It was inspired by Bond Department Store, which was a large and really popular chain of stores in the U.S. in that decade. And so even though we didn't brand it as Bond Department Stores all that much, there was a lot of inspiration that we took from it. Um, we used some slogans of theirs on signage and kind of just the the overall look. Um, you know, when you specify to one store, it does become a research uh, limitation where there might not be all that much surviving imagery from that location. So you do kind of start to pull in other bits of similar stores and locations to also use. Um, but yeah, that was, I didn't know about Bond Department Store before then. So it was a really fun way to learn more about the city's history um, and, you know, just <laughs> add it to your niche collection of knowledge of things that you've worked on 
because, you know, every job that you, you do, you learn a new set of information. And that was, that was really fun for me. Um, and, you know, I mean, the, the original Bond store is amazing. If, if you haven't seen imagery of it before, it's just absolutely beautiful. And it has these towering neon lights and sculptures and beautiful window displays. So, you know, it's, that's a tall order to recreate for a TV show, but it's really, really inspiring. And, you know, they know it best where we're not the experts on design they are. So, you know, looking back to what they created is so special to be able to reference. Yeah. I imagine though that that comes with its own set of difficulties as well. Did you find that you had to learn any new design skills to make sure the things you were designing were in keeping with the design styles of that time? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I've been working on um, is recreating old fonts that aren't available digitally these days. So, you know, a lot of them are fonts that were used with letterpress or maybe just were handmade and never even in any fonts uh, to begin with. So, I've been using old type specimen books and scanning them in and creating tracings to create fonts out of them. And that's been a really good way for me to be able to authentically reproduce period typography. Um, I've done the same thing with subway signage, which is, again, something that has really specific looks for New York. And so I've taken subway signage from New York's um, old subways and created fonts out of them. And, you know, for, for our time constraints, that's also really valuable to be able to quickly reproduce something. Um, and, you know, also even with typefaces that we do have access to, because they're so clean and refined in a digital font that you can get in today's world, they don't look quite right when you put them into a, a period setting. So even scanning you know, type specimen books for Futura, it really does give it kind of an authentic, organic look that you wouldn't get from a standard typeface. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of work, but something that will be useful in the long run if you carry on designing for period shows. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see yourself working in other shows set in a similar time or do you have other types of design you'd like to try in a future project? Well, right. Yeah, right Right now, um, I'm still working on season five of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And as most things go, who knows what comes after this. Um, but I, I have really settled on focusing on period work. And so I, I hope that whatever comes next is just as visually exciting as this work has been. Um, I'd, I'd love to do something that was Art Deco. I haven't yet. Um, but uh, that's, you know, it's right before mid-century, so it's it's not too far away. Um, and that also just has such a specific look to it that I think would be really fun to recreate. Mm. Hopefully you do. It'll be cool to see what you come up with for that. Um, but I know you also have a side project that's completely different from your film work, making quirky animal illustrations. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, yeah, those are it's a, a very different kind of work from my my standard day to day work, but I I have a series of illustrations called Odd Duck Gallery, and it's a, a series of pen and ink drawings with gold leafed embellishments, and it's it's something that you know along with some freelance graphics work that I really focus on in my time between productions, and 
it's just really fun to, you know, do something different and get away from the computer and, and just work with your hands. Yeah, it must be a nice change from the film world to just design something for yourself. Yeah, and that that's actually how these started was when I moved to New York, I wanted a very specific uh, series of wall art and I couldn't find it. It was, I wanted specifically, you know, like a duck in a hat and a walrus with glasses <laughs> and a raccoon with the bow tie and shockingly that did not exist. <laughs> so, I mean, it, that's the great thing about being a graphic designer or an artist is that when something doesn't exist that you want, you just make it. Mm. And so it was after that I made this that I realized that it could potentially be um, something that other people would be interested in. Yeah, well, I think they're really cool. Um, if you're listening and it sounds like your cup of tea, be sure to check out the Odd Duck Gallery. And Leah, your other side project is more in line with your film work. You're giving advice to newcomers on how to get into the industry. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's a really tough industry to get into. It's it feels very walled off as a newcomer um, because, you know, with, with standard graphics jobs, you can go online and search job openings. But there really is not anything like that for filming TV. It's all word, word of mouth or private listings. Um, so, you know, getting that start is really difficult. And although I'm proud of the work that I put in to get my first job, I don't think starting out with absolutely zero information is quite necessary. So I'm going to be running an info session on all the logistical basics of starting a career in film and TV. And I, I hope that the recording of it becomes a resource for people to be able to access anytime online. Um, and it'll have answers to things like, you know, I, I had all the questions too that I now get from newcomers. Like, where should I pick an apartment? Do I need a car? How much will I make? Will, will I have benefits for those of us in the U.S. who need health insurance? Um, you know, there there's so many logistical things to figure out in the beginning. And um, I hope that this is a good resource for people. Um, you know, also things like who do I email? Like what job title person do I send my resume to? Um, all those things are just really difficult to figure out as someone who is new to film and tv so i hope this is a good resource for people it's a great idea i'm sure there'll be loads of people who'll find it helpful so best of yeah. luck with it thank you yeah I'll, I'll be posting information about the info session on my instagram page which is by leah spencer um, so even if you're hearing this after the info session happens you'll still be able to access the information that was shared in it on my website which I'll, I'll link to so i hope that it's it's helpful yeah and i'll be sharing those links too so have a look in the show notes for those links and i'll be sharing some more stuff on our instagram page um leah thanks very much for coming on the podcast it's been yeah. great talking to you absolutely good luck with everything all right thank you my huge thanks to leah spencer for coming on the show and having a chat about her work if you'd like to see some more of Leah's work, including her graphics on the marvellous Mrs. Maisel and her Odd Duck Gallery illustrations, have a look at Leah's website, lspencerstudio.com. Leah's info session on graphic design for film and TV is happening on the 13th of August on Zoom. It's free, so if you want to find out more about her work and how to get into the industry, be sure to check out the link in the show notes. Head over to our Instagram page at opening credits to see some examples of Leah's creations 
and also Leah's reinterpretation of the opening credits logo in her own authentic reproduction of New York Subway font, as used in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. That about does it for our opening double bill of episodes for this new podcast. To find out more about the opening credits platform, including the newsletter and our creative community for film pros, head to openingcredits.net. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back with another episode next week. See you then.